Sasha Thompson is a respected and certified DEI coach. For the next 30 minutes, we'll get an exclusive look at some of her conversations with others in the field. Welcome to DEI After Five. Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world or whenever you're watching this. Um, welcome to this episode of DEI After Five. I have been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while because this is a topic that people have been talking about, but not quite sure what it means, what it looks like, um, certifications, so it, or is accreditation something that's important? All of those things when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion in this particular industry. And so my guest today is Ashanti Bentel Du. I wanted to make sure I got that last part correct. Um, who is based in the UK, but you have been in this space for a while. So Ashanti, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Really, it's lovely to be here. Thank you. And so I want to first start off with how did you get into diversity, equity and inclusion? And let's start there. Yeah, absolutely. So I my foundational career and training is in law and finance. And so I started working for big city banks um, in my kind of former career. And of course, I noticed the lack of diversity within those environments. At the time, I was the only person in my early 20s. And I say person of color, regardless mm -hmm. of gender and any of the other strands. And so I actually, you know, maybe my naivety took on certain diversity projects within the banks that I worked for. So whether it was organizing events, talking to managers, because I realized that uh, most managers did not have any kind of inclusion training at all, which also impacted the way they treated you, especially mm -hmm. if you were young and diverse within the work environment. So my start was very organic, as many people's are. Um, and then eventually I decided to move more formally into um, training and coaching leadership and management with an inclusive lens. So one of the things that you and I talked about, I guess, a couple of months ago now, um, has been this conversation around the need for structure um, when we talk about the diversity and inclusion industry. And, you know, especially in the last two years, there have been so many people that have kind of come into this industry, um, certification programs that have come up, and some have been there for a while. Um, and so I, wanted, I want to hear from you a little bit about what you're doing now and kind of what has inspired that work? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, given my background in law and finance, it is very regulatory and there are codes and it's all about compliance. And so that's what I'm used to in terms of when you develop yourself and then also in terms of the service you're offering your client or organization. Mm -hmm. And so my interest in, I guess, having structure and accountability and, of course, ethical practice really stems from back then. And so at the moment, I have been studying and researching the diversity, equity and inclusion industry to understand how we as an industry are holding ourselves um, accountable for the service that we provide to organizations. And I'm very specific. This is just for people who work within or for or with corporate organizations. So I'm not referring to social media activism or content creation, very specifically those of us who consult and practice in this area. How are we holding ourselves accountable? How do we ensure that what we do is ethical? 
but also how do we move from being competent to transformational in the work that we do with organizations. So that's what I'm doing now, creating a set of standards. And I know there was a lot of controversy around certifications, but this isn't really about the content matter itself. It's really about the competencies and skills that whoever it is who's offering the service or providing the support, what skills are they developing? I love how you said taking it, um, making it transformational. Yes. Right. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Because I think that that's such a critical piece in this process. It's not just having conversations to have conversations. How do you move the needle? So, yes, I'd love to hear more about that. Absolutely. And as you know, see, what I've always admired about parallel industries is you have business psychologists, you have therapists, you have people who really study behavior. Because ultimately, when we talk about transformation, usually what we are hoping to do is help people to transform the way they think, the way they communicate, and the way they behave. And that those three things are critical when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, particularly if you're looking at senior leaders and managers, much less employees. Yeah. And so... I know that we will often focus a lot in our industry when we see content being produced around what organizations should be doing. But those organizations are made up of human beings and we have to be transformational. We need to move beyond pulling some slides together, using social media means or content into studying the actual makeup of our training programs, Mm. um, using more coaching qualities and tools in the way that we interact with um, our clients, making sure that from a learning perspective, have we had a program designer look over the content that we pulled together? What about uh, making sure that our material from the way we, the content, the format and delivery is, is suitable for neuro divergent participants, clients, etc. That's what I mean by transformational. What we need to do is think about how we think, how we communicate, and how we behave. Is that um, helpful? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Because, you know, you're actually speaking to something that I've been thinking about and doing more of in my consulting practice is, you know what, I'm going to do less facilitation and more kind of transformation and organizational change um, through coaching. Yes. Because I realized that for me to come in and do a presentation, that's more of a checkbox. But what can I do to provide you questions that will help you think about where you need to go next, right? Not only as an individual, but also as a team or as an organization. And so I'm noticing that I get more out of that process with my clients than just coming in and doing a checkbox, you know? So I I, I absolutely love what you're talking about because I think it's critical in us shifting this almost to like a diversity 2.0, right? It's okay, we've done the workshops, we've done all of those things, we've checked all those boxes. How do we now shift to a place where we are really facilitating change within the organization? Exactly. And, and we all talk about culture, this intangible, invisible, thing. but without the transformational approach, yes. you are not going to get a shift in culture. And you're quite right. It's, the training is great, but training in and itself is one dimensional. It's one directional. Very much so. It doesn't always 
um, you know, nudge and prompt behavioral change. And that's what we need to be focusing on. But that does mean, of course, we need to develop in our competencies. And you rightly mentioned coaching, which is a brilliant tool. And it is one of the biggest forms of allyship that organizations are already using. Mm -hmm. But it's not being done with the inclusive lens. And it would be great, for example, to see more of us in the consultant practitioner field going and getting properly accredited and then using those tools when we're working with organizations. I love it. Love it. Love it. So I want to talk about something else you, you mentioned just now around the ethical aspects of this work. Yes. Because, again, um, it was a little bit of a free for all. And still is to some extent. Yes. Um, and so what what do you mean when you say the ethics in this work? Okay. <laughs> Another great question. So uh, making sure you are evidence and research based in your practice is the first thing. Mm. You know, we are in a place now, as I say, there's a lot of free content out there being produced by anybody interested in diversity. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need to be certified or you know, verified in any kind of way, whether it's formally or informally, to begin creating content and then asking to be paid for that Mm. content. So we need to be evidence and research-based. We cannot rely solely on lived experience as a prerequisite to do this work and as a prerequisite or qualifier to offer this service. And I know that is quite uncomfortable and I know it's quite an unpopular opinion, I think lived experience has its merit and its place and needs to be used selectively in the work we do. But just because, for example, I'm a black woman, that doesn't qualify me to be a diversity, equity and inclusion consultant or practitioner. Yes. I don't do the work because of those identity, those parts of my identity at all. And I think that's one key thing. The second key thing. The third thing is if you have unhealed or you know, unaddressed trauma, in your life or as a result of your work experiences those are things you need to address because again this work is not an opportunity to work that out on the job Uh, you know what when we go into organizations we do need to be neutral unbiased okay in our approach the only thing we should be biased to is a healthier work culture Mm-hmm. which moves me on to my next point around political ideologies. And I say this with a caveat because I fully appreciate that, for example, North America is much different as a climate to other places in the world. But I can say that in my work, working with the UK and Europe in particular, um, as a facilitator, as a practitioner, going into an organisation with a pre-held political perspective, ideology, is not correct. It's not ethical because you're there to help that organization navigate their journey. Mm-hmm. And yes. so that should be our uh, focus ultimately when we go into organizations of work. And as I say, only within that context, if you're talking about social media activism, other industries like media, etc., then of course the lines are far more blurred. You can uh, be a little bit more open or have multiple interests. But when you're working with corporate organizations, we do have a responsibility to ensure that we're being neutral, unbiased and evidence and research based. That's my thought anyway. Oh, my goodness. You have just hit on so many different things because that just reiterates some other um, interviews and uh, conversations that I've had in this space. So did the conversation with... um, 
Dr. Sam Ray not too long ago. And she spoke about, yes, you know, lived experience is great, but what skills are you bringing with that? Yes. Right. It, it just can't be that you are black and brown or a woman or an LGBTQ plus yes. community that makes you an expert. You're an expert in yourself. Yes. Right. But what skills are you bringing in addition yes. to that so that you have that lens of diversity, inclusion, equity in the work? So I yes. absolutely love that. And then something else you said touched on something Katrina Jones said recently, um, which was around understanding that your journey is not the journey of your clients. Yes. And so being able to remove yourself from where is it that they want to go versus where is it that you want them to go? Precisely. Absolutely. You know, uh, you know, another piece about these standards and ethics is, are you going in with a, a hypothesis you want to prove? Yeah. Well, we shouldn't be doing that. We should be going in to discover you know what I mean? Rather yes. than, um, you know, have a conclusion and then, you know, look for ways to prove that with that particular organization. I think that's really um, important. And then the other thing I will say is that, unfortunately, because of the growth of the industry, for example, gender diversity, let's be honest, historically meant the advancement of white women. Mm-hmm. So that's an area that is now evolving to, um, you know, reflect the nuance and intersection of womanhood. But the other area is that sometimes we find, particularly in the UK, diversity is automatically assumed to be about race. Yeah. It's not. And so what we need to do, I think, also as an industry is actually understand the work that we're doing here in the first place and go beyond some of those elements. And then the third thing I will say is I believe from what I've observed and researched that whiteness has become heavily stigmatized and demonized and I think more of us in our practice again need to be more responsible and evidence-based we need to understand the difference between white supremacy systemic inequality and whiteness and because again when you're working in a corporate organization particularly in the western world you are dealing with predominantly white workforces and decision makers your approach is key Yes. Your approach is key in terms of getting their buy-in, their trust, which you need in this work. And equally, as I say, we need to be helping people understand it's a system we all operate within. All of us. Because those of us who are people of colour and who may be black and brown, for example, we still internalise certain behaviours and uphold those systems in the workplace too. And so it's really important to consistently be drawing that distinction between the two in order to help people, as I say, nurture these competencies within themselves. Oh, my goodness. There's just... (laughs) Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Everything that you just said, yes. Right, And it's so much to unpack. And I, I appreciate what you're saying because I think so many people come into this work thinking, oh, I'm just going to advance, you know, gender e- equality and talk about that. And they don't realize once they take a role in diversity, equity, and inclusion, there's all of these other pieces that are a part of it and they become overwhelmed. They, you know, start to realize, okay, this is not what I thought it was. I thought it was about having events and having some fun. Yeah, this work is not fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's not. It, and you know, it's very unglamorous. You know, I, I I'm sure you. I spend lots of time on the phone or on uh, you know Zoom Teams etc. Explaining the basics. Yeah. I, I spend a lot of time um, holding people's hand. A lot of sometimes stakeholders are in tears because of the pressure. 
Yeah. Because actually, when you're not there as the expert facilitator, they're getting emails and calls from angry colleagues, from yeah. colleagues who have been triggered emotionally by what's been covered. Uh, people who don't think it's worth doing this work, people who are cynical, skeptical, they're dealing with that when you're not there. And that's another part of the ethics that I'm creating is aftercare for stakeholders. Yes. A lot of us are not thinking about what they need to be able to navigate this, this space and the projects that we might be working with them on. And what happens after we leave? <laughs> are we leaving them better than we found them? Um, and, 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 and that to me is really key. Are we creating codependent clients mm. because really if you are sharing the principles of diversity equity inclusion they should be upskilled enough to deal with some problems themselves but if you find them coming back to you over and over again on the same things you need to look at the way you're working with them yes you know you said something earlier that kind of triggered just now as you were talking was as practitioners, not only do we have to understand our the trauma that we've gone, you know, had and undergone as we are doing this work or prior to doing this work, but you also have to understand who you are internally and some of the blind spots and biases that we have as well, like the other side of that. Because I've also witnessed folks that come into this work and haven't done their own internal work exactly. and they cause just as much damage as you know, what's going on in the workplace. And so if they haven't done the work themselves to understand, okay, these are the areas where this, these are not my strengths, right? Yes. This is where I need to do more research or understanding or dive deep into myself. Um, this is where a lot, you know, the coaching comes in as well too, because, you know, I'm going to ask you the questions that are going to cause you to, to dive deep into yourself. Um, so I think that that's a critical piece of this. The other part that you mentioned just now was the aftercare. And um, Dr. Rufus Spann mentioned that in the session that we did with him, right? We're, all, we're always thinking about self-care, which is great. And we need to continue to do that. But sometimes it's not the self-care that we need. It is the aftercare. And what do we do in those moments right after something has happened, yes. right? That we can immediately kind of, okay, I need to step away or I need to have a moment in the moment, right, right then and there, right? Versus, oh, I'll wait this weekend because I'm going to the spa. Yes, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And this is key. I mean, you know, this is why the level of self-awareness that we are expecting of our clients, we have to have gone there ourselves. Yes. And that's why unhealed trauma, that is why lived experience, all of those things we need to be in. No one's perfect, but we need to be in the process of reconciling proactively because the places that a lot of us are asking our clients to go to, if we've never been there before, how can we hold space for that? Right. We, can't, we can't responsibly hold space for that because we don't know what that's like. You're yeah. asking individuals to reconsider, to unpack, dismantle deeply entrenched beliefs and ideas that they have about other human beings. That is not easy. And so a lot of our work, as you know, is patience. And, if you, and, and this is why I talk about the difference between activism and the work we should be doing as consultants in the corporate sector, because you cannot bring a lot of those activist approaches into this work because the wheels don't turn that quickly in corporate organizations. And because if you're seeking to reach somebody's mind, 
that doesn't help you do that. You've got to hold space and often accompany them on that journey. Yeah. Yeah. And help guide them. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, that's, it's, it's the coach approach. Like that's the only, that's the phrase that keeps coming into my head is yeah. this is why coaching and advising are two different things. Yes. And why everyone now calling themselves a coach is not a coach because there is a very specific. And again, it goes back to what you're saying around standards. Yes. Right. ICF is the standard is the gold standard for coaching. And so if you are working with a coach or if you're working with someone in the DEI space that is a coach and also a consultant or however they're doing that combination. Right. There's a certain skill set that that person will bring to this work. And again, it's not telling you what to think or giving advice. Yes. And I, that's the piece that um, is, is transformational. Yes. Because once you can take yourself out of it and you ask the right questions. Yes. And you see those light bulbs going off for people. That's the transformation. Those are the moments that start to shift. Absolutely. And that's those people, when they're together like atoms, they're going to cause that cultural change. And I think on your point around the ICF, et cetera, and I know that, you know, one of the things when I first put a survey and asked people about certifications, et cetera, one of the concerns many people had is that it kind of creates an elite or exclusive group because if you can't afford. But here's the thing. Any other professional discipline requires yes. some level of continuous professional development. It is definitely worth the investment. And the coaching industry is currently going through a bit of a revolution because they're talking about, for example, decolonizing coaching, which yes. I find quite fascinating because I think that DEI at its time, at the right time, is going to go through that same piece again because yes. we do need to be, we need more diverse coaches in corporate organizations. And so there's an encouragement there for anyone who wants to practice or consult in this space, go and get your coaching qualification because it will be twofold, but it raises our standard. You're taught different models of coaching. Some of them you can leave, take, adapt, but at least you're working within a code of ethics responsibly when you're holding space for people. And to me, there is no probably higher form of allyship in it's coaching. You know, yeah. it is a form of allyship, and that's what we're about ultimately in DEI. And so that's why I'm really kind of trying to. This is my way of just opening up the conversation and adding to what we do and saying, hey, I think we need to have standards. I absolutely love it. Yes, yes, yes. So <laughs> I want to flip the script a little bit and ask you so, what are the things that you do to take care of yourself, right? How do you fill your cup? How do you? Make sure you have the self-care and aftercare. Sure. I, I'd split it into two. So exactly. The self-care and aftercare. So in terms of aftercare, what after work, there's two things I have. One is I have a small, close-knit circle of peers in the DEI industry who are experienced. And so I use it almost like a therapist goes to a supervisor. <laughs> you know, I, have the, I get to access them and talk about my work things that are bothering me, things that are problems, how it makes me feel as the practitioner. That's probably the best and only context within which I do that. That's the first thing. Um, And the second thing is, honestly, 
um, you know, in terms of aftercare, is often just taking a break completely. So what I will do is, and it's hard for those of us who work in this, because I can see what we do when I'm watching a TV show, which is most unhelpful. <laughs> when I'm trying to relax, I'm like, that's an issue with work culture. But I do, try, <laughs> I do try to switch off completely at the moment from all social media notifications, mm-hmm. and I'll either read or, um, you know, just relax. In, my, in, in terms of self-care, there are two things that I've just started to do that I'm seeing benefits of. I go swimming regularly now. Okay. And I chose swimming specifically because I'm sorry for those who are swimmers out there. I find it to be the most boring exercise ever. However, <laughs> it is, <laughs> it's very good for you. And I find actually yeah. doing the laps, you know, you have to become very present in your own body and mind. Yes. And I find it very good as a mindful exercise to do. And of course, there are the physical health benefits. And then the second thing is I have actually started going for massages. So really, again, bringing my thoughts into captivity and being more present within my body and not always thinking about kind of lots of other things and and my clients. I love it. So if people wanted to contact you, where would they find you? LinkedIn. LinkedIn is absolutely the probably the only and best place to find me online. Um, I share, you know, regular thoughts such as these um, on my LinkedIn. Um, That's the best place to find me. Wonderful. And then your email address is down there, of course, as well, too. So thank you so much, Ashanti. This has been an amazing conversation. I think we've given people lots to chew on. Um, (laughs) These are are beyond nuggets because I talk about, yo, we're going to give you some nuggets. We gave like a full meal in this conversation. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, And I hope everyone that is watching right now, you were able to find something in that that kind of struck a chord for you um, because this industry is evolving. And so we need to be able to continue to evolve and grow as practitioners in this space. And this is the next iteration of diversity. This is the 2.0 that's on the horizon or it's basically here right now. So Ashanti, thank you so much. Thank you everyone for watching and we will see you the next time. Have a good one. Yeah.